Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk about the best games that we've played this year in the Derpies of 2018. But, Buddy, before we do that, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. It's pretty simple, Mango. We like to talk about games. Uh, obviously, twenty seven or 2018, geez, 2017, right? 2018 is coming to a close. Uh, we are recording this, I guess, four days before the end of the year, so... If something amazing happens in the next four days, I guess we'll miss it. Yeah, well, they'll um, be eligible for the Derpies 2019. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, where uh, the uh, – so the, the rules of the Derpies are pretty simple. Uh, one of us creates a category and gives an answer to what their, you know, favorite or best thing is for said category and then passes it off uh, to uh, – to the other host, and um, that's the that's how the derpies work. Just in case any of you are uninitiated, yeah. And and we we, we started off usually with game of the year, but um, as kind of uh, the year has come to a close, and uh, you know, um, uh, uh, other award shows have happened. Obviously, there were the VGAs. Um, some people have started coming out with their games of the year al- al- already. Um, I was sitting and thinking about. Um, how the game of the year works. We, we've talked about this with the Oscars, right? Like um, yeah. the movie that becomes best picture is kind of like, it's a certain type of movie. Um, we've talked about the type of game that gets best game award. And um, I was thinking about this and I was thinking that um, that the, the kind of traditional category doesn't do it quite justice. Um, and so uh, uh I was like, a, I forget who it was, but somebody awarded Fortnite the game of the year this year. Um, and that's no, not, not a game that typically gets it, right? Like, uh, yeah. uh, because it doesn't fit this kind of mold of, of, of games of the, uh, of the year that we're, that we're used to. Um, and so in, in traditional kind of, uh, some there's talk about games fashion. I thought about how would we break this down if we wanted to kind of diversify this a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't, want to do pure like mechanics versus story because like, I don't think that that's quite right but I think like I said in, in Derp's talk about games fashion I think this, this breaks best breaks down along our typical um, games as art and games as sport paradigm so yeah uh, we we've, we've already discussed this but we've we've decided to split the game of the year out into three uh, categories best game as art uh, best game as sport and uh, best fusion game, best traditional game of the year, something uh, along those lines. But did, did you have any thoughts about about, about this this kind of deliberation? This is something I mostly did to myself, so I wanted to get your thoughts on it too. No, I mean, I, this is always going to be a work in progress for all of us. I feel like um, just because it's so hard to crack the code, it feels like um, towards you know how how games are just like a really big medium right right and they're bigger in a way than than we think about other mediums as being specifically like tv and movies right hypothetically speaking tv and movies are the same kind of medium just sort of like chopped up arbitrarily along timeline right um in insofar as they are all using the same kinds of uh you know uh cameras putting stuff to film showing you back images with a matched sound to it, right? So, you know, it's it's tough because so many things fall under the category of game um that it's uh that it's 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 difficult to get to the end zone, I feel like. I I, I think I agree. But I'm 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 happy with this kind of like rough division as it stands. Uh 
Uh, what do you, do you want to go first and open this up? Pick one of these three to do our best uh, best of the year. Uh, okay, sure. Okay, sure. Okay, uh, so my game of the year for like games as sport and and co- competition is a game that you will know uh, very, very well and very closely because we discovered it together at Gen Con. It, this is Cockroach Poker, if you remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Cockroach Poker is a game that we discovered to get at Gen Con. It's a 64-card deck, eight suits of eight different cards. They're all themed after animals or vermin, right? Like rats and bats and spiders and stuff like that. But the whole game is just about getting a, b- a bunch of people together and passing the cards around, trying to call one another on lies. So I would pass Mango a card, um, and let's say the card is a... Uh, and let's say the card is a roach, and I say, this is a rat. Mango then needs to guess whether or not uh, I am lying in that, and depending on whether or not he guesses correctly or I guess correctly, uh, we win or lose points essentially um until somebody win or loses the entirety of the game uh yeah well it's actually it's only one loser which which i think is a neat thing right like you play until somebody loses um uh, it's it's a very great beer pretzels game i i'd I'd agree with you absolutely on that it was was yeah this is exactly how it was advertised to us we were just like you know it's raining it's a couple of us in an airbnb and we just want to you know we just want to kill some time um, and the guy immediately behind the, you know, behind the counter at the game shop was like, oh, I have exactly the right thing for you. I feel like this really hits that kind of games as sport, you know, like, uh, sweet spot because they, it, the entire thing is about the competition with other people, but it also has like the spectator sport aspect of it that makes it satisfying to both play and watch at the same time Um, because each individual interaction only takes place between two people right it turns everyone else into you know the audience right like the crowd in the stands essentially um for the game itself as it plays out in microcosm even even though there is like a bigger wider macrocosm to the whole thing there are no teams or anything kind of along those lines but um in the same way that you know i might recognize faker for his re play or whatever um or you know we might recognize boy i have no conception of like modern sports or football eli Tom, manning well, yeah, there we go. You got one. something specific that eli manning does throw balls well um <laughs> <laughs> he is a quarterback or yes. poorly i don't even know it, uh, he, 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 he hasn't had a great season although they've pulled together <laughs> at the end um uh, uh you know as much as i hate to say it tom brady's probably your go-to there um yeah uh, um you know so for instance when we were at gen con mango became uh i actually kind of feel bad a little bit for you mango just because like i felt like you became like the target uh for almost all of us and at a certain point uh, cockroach poker is just a numbers game like if you just keep passing it to the same person over and over and over again eventually they're gonna lose so yeah i mean so so that that happens to me a lot but it's 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 fun right like you know yeah it felt really good when i like got like a seven string of perfect guess perfect guesses that i needed to get in order to get it done right and you're like yeah. the whole room gets into it even you know if, if i eventually lose it's, it's still uh it's still it's still fun it's still a great game i i absolutely agree that that, that was an excellent choice um 
for my port, my, my games as sport of the year. It's, it's, it's a latecomer, but it's a good one. You've heard me talk about this before. It's, it's Smash Brothers Ultimate, affectionately oh, known yeah. as Smush. Um, uh, com- uh, I'm, I'm sure completely unsurprising to, to most people. Um, but, you know, the game is expansive, as, as Sakurai says. Uh, everybody is here. Um, there's like 74 characters with two more announced. Um, and two more definitively announced, Piranha Plant and uh, Joker from Persona 5, um, with like three more or four more in, in, the, in the kind of season pass. Um, uh, it's just kind of a celebration of everything that, uh, that, that kind of the, the game has, has ever been. Um, it seems to have struck a balance in the com- competitive community. It's not as kind of hardcore and cutthroat as Melee is, um, but it is fast enough that it is com- competitive with it. Um, for eyes. Um, also, it seems like Melee has finally kind of hit the end of its... Uh, it's finally started to feel stale. So uh, it looks like people are going to be moving over to Ultimate. Um, it's fun to watch from that perspective. I, I just watched uh, some highlights from uh, from a tournament. Um, uh, th- some, some you know, kind of very minor mechanical changes that have come up through the, uh, um, the ranks like... Uh, Perfect shielding um, and uh, some some just some tweaks have made a broader range of characters uh, viable. Um, like uh, there was a Donkey Kong in the top eight of this tournament highlights series that I just watched. Um, so you know, uh, wow. it's it's uh, you know it's 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 I think the best Smash has ever been. Um, and uh, hopefully, uh, what is uh, Sakurai can sleep now? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, you you have not played Smash, so I suppose you don't have much to. I have to... no, I have no. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos about how much it sucks to unlock everything in single player. Oh yeah, no. So I, I, yeah. I will say, you know, not every game is perfect, and that that is that is a a downside, right? We've, uh, uh, I'm sure you've seen in in, in in some of our gaming chat just bitching about how long it takes to unlock everything. You know, it, it's, it's a very yeah, real yeah. thing. But uh, you know, uh, it's it's not so much of a thing to kind of dethrone it. Um, all right, well, uh, uh, next category then would be Game as Art of the Year, and I'm going to give this to um, another game that's relatively recent uh, that you've heard me talk about. It's Return of the Obra Dinn. Um, okay. Uh, honestly, this game was par- a big part of the impetus for me wanting to do this split out because, like, I want, like, this game want- is Game of the Year in a lot of ways, right? It is definitely, like, you know, it is um, a Game of the Year, and... I felt like I couldn't justify giving it, giving like the, the kind of general award we give to it because of the way that, you know, the, all the things I, I talked about. But this game is, is so good. It is, uh, you know, just perfectly kind of like crafted to its own aesthetic. It's this like one, one bit graphics, um, uh, with, just like just enough fuzziness of detail to really kind of like sell the fact that it's like this old sailing ship, um, you know the, the story is is interesting. It's not it's not you know like the craziest thing, but like the way the story is told, uh, the kind of flashback mechanism, the um, uh, the mechanics of solving the mystery, which is kind of like this this logic puzzle on steroids, um, where you kind of match up different fates. It just feels so perfect. It is like everything I have ever wanted out of like a Phoenix Wright game, out of. Um, kind of like a, a mystery game, and uh, uh-huh. it needs this really tightly crafted narrative, which is why the mechanics are kind of so limited. But it does 
managed to have great mechanics that work with that, right? Like the mechanics aren't super free form, but they are perfect for what they are, um, including the brilliant master stroke, um, which is when you are setting a, like somebody's, uh, somebody like who, who the person is, what their position was and how they died. Um, uh, one, there are more ways to die than that. Like there are more ways, options for how the person died than, um, than you ever use. So there are some that go unused. Um, and two, once you unlock, once you have three of them matched up, it will solidify itself and match itself. So it's not so bad that, you know, if you've got one off, you're never sure if you've got it right. But it's not so easy that you can brute force it. So that is that is an absolutely brilliant uh, master stroke. And this is all underpined by, like, a um, um, uh, phenomenal soundtrack. So, um, uh, you know, Lucas Pope deserves all of our applause. It's the same guy who did uh, Papers, Please. Um, it, is, it is a phenomenal game. Like I said, game is art of the year for me. Wow. Okay. Boy, game as art for the year. Uh, man, because I want to give it to, uh, you know, like, this is tough. This is yeah. really hard. Um, I think I want to give, uh, I think I want to give it to Far Cry. No, I can't. Boy, I'm really torn between Far Cry 5 and... Battle for Azeroth, and I and I, I want to break that down a little bit because I think I feel okay. like BFA is a little bit, um, it's it's kind of a little bit like out there. The, the Far Cry feels more traditional, right? It's a single player game. There's no multiplayer or whatever. Um, it has very lofty aspirations. Whether or not it kind of reaches those aspirations is kind of up for grabs, right? But I like games like that are like that. I like games that that that, that are that try and are ambitious and have a lot on their mind. I feel like. Uh, I feel like Far Cry 5 pulled its punches to a certain extent uh, in a couple of ways. And, and I talked a little bit about that when we did our cast months and months and months ago. Um, at the same time, um, I also just really like Battle for Azeroth. And I like Battle for Azeroth because in a lot of ways this feels like the pinnacle of the kind of like the World of Warcraft story and content that we're kind of ever going to get. I don't know why I'm the only person in the world that seems to that seems to like feel this way. Um, but the the story focusing on the faction war and reincorporating stuff all the time just feels so good and so satisfying as like a long time like Warcraft player, right? Even just even things that are otherwise mechanical, right? Like so for instance, the the warfront in Arathi is essentially orcs versus humans right or like an old alliance versus horde match in warcraft 3 whereas the darkshore warfront is night elves versus like versus forsaken like those kinds of callbacks and reincorporations um on on missions where you're fighting um you know the lightforged join the alliance and so you're fighting these lightforged warframes and these lightforged ballistas that we saw at the end of legion right or when the magar join the horde we're now watching the the horde roll out iron star technology against the alliance and to see all of this stuff kind of like come back it almost feels like a you know like a greatest hits thing or something like that where they they are bringing back and they're rewarding you for kind of investing in the story of warcraft right so like maybe if bfa is your first expansion or whatever you might not necessarily understand or see why you know the iron stars showing up in 
uh, Twilight in, in, uh, or not Twilight, in, um, Tearguard sound and being used to bust open this, the gates of Boralis is cool. But, you know, I don't know, as somebody who has, who has definitely done that sort of thing, I feel like, I feel like I'm talking myself into giving it to, to BFA. <laughs> um, <laughs> and especially because, um, there's a lot of little things that, uh, that I like and, like, little world building aspects to, uh, to the Battle for Azeroth story that just, like, feel really good. Like, not only are the main characters in Battle for Azeroth, like, faction leaders that we've been following for a long time, right? And faction leaders have always been the constant characters, but they've also simultaneously sort of been the background characters. Like, typically characters who are, uh, who are the, like, the focus of a storyline, um, over the course of an expansion are more neutral and temporary than that. Like, so for instance, uh, Alex Straza in Cataclysm as kind of the, the counterpoint to Deathwing is, she, you know, she only really does that for, for Cataclysm and that's kind of sort of it. Even Thrall has to leave behind his role as a faction leader in order to sort of take over as this like neutral shaman NPC and he hasn't showed up for the last two expansions. Uh last expansion we had Illidan obviously um and uh all of the different stuff interacting with the Legion and Cadgar. Um and so like now that we're circling back and and the main characters in this expansion are people like Sylvanas, who's been with us since the Frozen Throne, um Anduin, who's been with us since Vanilla Wow, right? Like these are if there's just something that like brings it home and makes it personal in a way that feels I don't know. It just it makes it feel like a world, um, like a real world to kind of inhabit, but also an arch, uh, a grand kind of uh, a grand kind of world. So um, all of those sorts of things, all of the gameplay stuff, kind of connected to that aside, like Azerite armor, which I don't think is amazing, um, and other kind of pieces of gameplay problems that have like cropped up. I feel like all of that aside, when it comes to you know how the questing goes in Zuldazar or in Drustvar or even just small micro quests that, that crop up here and there. I feel like that stuff is all great. And that makes the, uh, that makes BFA uh, battle for Azeroth worthy of the game of the year. Um, when I'm thinking about games as art. All right. Well, uh, then the last one is a uh, fusion game of the year or traditional games of the year, I guess. So, so I guess it's you. yeah. So when you say fusion, do you mean like that mixes a little bit of both? Yeah, like so. So okay. um, you know, you you you've I think pushed a little bit more towards that with your game as art pick, which is fine. I you know, um, but I had cut like so. I, I had thought of like you know these really artsy games that don't win game of the year because they're not gamey enough, and these really gamey games that don't win game of the year because they're not artsy enough, right? Like and those are your uh-huh. sports and your art ga- games and sport and games your art game, and you have your traditional game of the year winner. Um, uh, and I, even though it's kind of going out of order, I'm going to just go into mine because um, it is uh, identical to the one that the VGA gave out. I'm giving it to God of War. Um, gotcha. Uh, because it is, uh, you know, a, a mechanical masterpiece in a lot of uh, – it's mechanically sound um, and uh, story-wise it is great. Um, again, not as, you know, as amazing as Oberdin, but this is this is kind of the the, the – I, again, part of the reason why, why I want to do this is um, in order to have a really tight narrative, you have to really lock down what your player can do. Um, and so the mechanics, while they can be existent, they can't be very freeform. 
Um, similar, and th- this flows in both directions, right? Like, if you have very, uh, if you want, uh, uh, the more open your mechanics are, the, the harder it is to have a good narrative because you can't, like, you know, you can't expect the player to kind of uh, sabotage their own kind of experience, right? Like, uh, um, you know, the, the the thing that pops into mind is, like, when you're playing, say, Batman Arkham Asylum, when you're doing, like, the cutscenes, you can, like, you can move the character. You can just kind of spin in a circle while, like, this very serious conversation is going on. Um uh, but, uh, you know, those, those th- that kind of dichotomy aside, um, uh, I, I want to, you know, put a God of War as, as something that, that, you know, while not the best in either of those fronts, blends them really well, um, in a super entertaining and super fun package that, uh, that is kind of, I think, why this, this is kind of like the normal type of uh, game to, to capture game of the year. Because it kind of, it kind of uh, touches the, um, uh, the the artsy aspects. It has a really compelling story. Uh, it has a really fun story. It has a really touching story at a lot of levels. Um, uh, you know, this kind of father son relationship. Um, Kratos coming to terms with who he is and really facing down who you know the the, the Greek Kratos was as as the Norse Kratos, um, uh, as well as uh, Loki's or not. That's that's the spo- that's a spoiler. But Atreus is coming of age. Um, uh, like I said, like you know, like, like I just let loose. Um, uh, the great, this great twist at the end where you find out that Atreus is Loki. I didn't see it coming. I don't know if other people did. Um, as, as well as like some some cool stuff where you can like figure out what's happening with like um, you know Balder Balder dying like sets off the uh, the the Ragnarok um, traditionally. Uh-huh. So like the fact that you end up killing him, you know, makes a lot of, you know. Uh, a lot of cool weaving there, as well as like a really fun to play combat system with some really kind of killer extra content that you can go to that's really challenging if you really want to push yourself in that direction. You know, um, you know, standard kind of like plethora of exploration features, plethora of kind of like infinite content type of things if you want to keep just doing the con- the, the the content stuff, um, increasing uh, amounts of uh, you know. Uh, very good scaling difficulty with difficulty levels. Um, so, you know, just overall a, a really masterfully crafted game. So, yeah, that's my that's my fusion game of the year. That makes sense. Do you can, – can you guess? Do you know what my fusion game of the year is going to be? Um, I would have guessed Far Cry 5, but uh... – Okay, okay. It's not Far Cry 5. Um, funnily, enough, funnily enough, it is Battletech, which came out way earlier makes in the sense. year. And I played the shit out of it, and I loved it, obviously. I talked about it multiple times on the cast. I feel like Battletech is one of the better uh, of these kind of, like, fusion categories. To a certain extent, I feel like in uh, you and I almost, like, read the idea of these differently. Like, I was basically thinking about – when I was thinking about BFA, I was thinking about, well, if I take out the the kind of um, – the competitive stuff that, I'm, that I don't really care about all that much, like rating mechanics or whatever, what do I think of BFA just kind of as, like, you know, a story and, like, art? and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, and obviously, I don't think Cockroach Poker really has anything along, along those sorts of lines. But I do feel like Battletech kind of has both because in a lot of ways, it is competitive. And when I interface with it, I am interfacing, even as a single-player game, I am interfacing with it as a, um, I guess, just a player of, you know, like, I, I, I almost feel like I'm matching up against somebody in a PvP game, but I'm not right this isn't hearthstone this isn't league of legends or something like that i'm playing the computer right um but there is that like drive to kind of like competitiveness and 
winning and the balance of the system and it is about like mastering the mechanics that are at play because Battletech is an unforgivingly brutal game sometimes um and you know you will you will field a really powerful mech and it will just get blown out by a couple of bad hits on a couple of bad turns and that's the kind you know like that's the kind of thing that just happens and that's the kind of game that just that uh, that just supports something along those lines. And obviously, you know, you can just be a shit and, like, save scum or whatever. Um, or you can kind of, like, accept the losses and keep keep kind of uh, moving forward. But at the same time, Battletech also has, like, a compelling, you know, narrative and story and world. Um, I don't have a good sense for how much of this is borrowed, um, since I obviously know that Battletech is a borrowed license, like it is a borrowed property and IP in general. Um but the story of moving through these kinds of like high political alliances um, that plays out in the single player campaign mode is just I, I was really surprised at how compelling I found it, especially when like so I find stories like this, especially because stories like this are um, fundamentally kind of you know, more predictable. Like this is sort of what we were talking about with Aquaman last week, where like, you know, Aquaman is a big Shakespearean story and Shakespeare has been around for 500 years. So we all kind of understand where it's going um, at any, at any moment. And this is a very similar vein. This is in a very similar vein where it's all about the political allegiances of each house and stuff like that. Um, But there were legitimate like plot twists and turns that caught me off guard because I was expecting a zig and instead they zagged um, or something kind of along those lines. Um, and they really abuse kind of um, the first-person perspective, right, that you are playing a character. And sometimes the information you get is warped. In fact, if there is anything that I want to highlight as the most artful thing that happened in Battletech, it is they kind of broke this covenant that typically exists between you know, the game publishers and developers and the player base by saying, hey, listen, right, um, you are playing a person and you are your own kind of unreliable narrator. Just to just to explain what kind of happened, and this is a small spoiler, but like there are pieces of the game where characters will lie to you, but they will lie to you in the way that games don't typically do that, where they where they are instead just kind of expositing um, or like setting up the context of a mission, where they're like, you know, you need to go into this depot and shoot down all of the all of the automated ships or whatever in order to stop them from uh in order to stop them from escaping with battle mechs because they're going to ruin our rebellion if they do sort of thing right but that turns out to be an explicit lie um and the the depot that you are attacking and the ships that you are attacking don't have anything to do with your current mission and in fact create you end up killing the son of who ends up becoming the the major villain just because he was a pilot on one of these ships and you didn't know uh and you didn't really know any better because you were being politically uh manipulated by somebody else for their own ends and that was like a really cool thing to see and i'm sure maybe other players would have been 
pissed off about it. They would have felt kind of like betrayed or, or whatever. But I, I don't know. I was very into it for this for the storyline. So I feel as though the combination of both the I want to win each and every one of these battles and I want to maximize my gameplay and I want to make sure my tonnage is putting out, you know, a good amount of firepower and I have teams that are, uh, you know, that are able to take out other mechs uh, super efficiently. All of that stuff feels very games as art as me, or games as sport as me. Um, but you know, the, the, the story that you play through in the single player campaign mode, I think that's a, it's a pretty legitimate, good story. They had really strong writers who knew how to weave a narrative through each of these kinds of individual battles and keep me playing for what, like 40 hours on end. Um, I don't know. That's uh that is definitely and that is definitely an achievement. So those are all three of our games of the year, I guess. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh since that was kind of my brainchild, I'll I'll give it to you for the first uh first kind of custom uh category. Okay. Uh so the so the first custom category that I wanted to get into um because we don't do we, we typically do, don't do all that much with television, but the first custom category I wanted to get into is in terms of ongoing television, right, like television that started before now maybe, like it doesn't have to be the first season this year, but it could be the latest season of X show. What do you think the best thing on television is right now? Also, I guess including like Netflix streaming and all of that kind of stuff because um, that that just feels like TV to me. Uh, the reason I bring that question up is because I feel like it's hard to rate television because we kind of get into a position of, like, talking about seasons, and it's like, oh, well, this season of X was, was really bad, or this season of X was, was really good. And even though... Um, you know, the most recent season is the 2018 season, I guess, for a lot of these television shows. Um, I feel like they are more complete than that, and I want to treat them as more complete than that. So if a show has a really good first and second season, and season four is not super amazing, but, you know, it's it, it's all part of the same show. I feel like that counts in a way that, that uh, it doesn't typically uh, just to give you my answer, uh, I've talked about this plenty of times on the cast before. Better Call Saul, I think, is the best show on television. Um, it is helmed by the Breaking Bad guys, um, Vince Gilligan, obviously kind of being like the brainchild. But I also think that there is something really magical about Bob Odenkirk as Saul himself. Um, and I am constantly just like <sighs> wowed. I guess, um, by the ability of the show to both incorporate things that we find out later or we see later and serve as that prequel series to kind of Breaking Bad, um, but also to not be Breaking Bad because it's, it is not a show about, you know, a guy cooking meth. It's not a show even really about drug dealers, um, the show is principally about Saul as a lawyer, um, and some of that other stuff kind of happening in his periphery. Um, and between Bob Odenkirk's performance, between, uh, the really well thought out narrative kind of getting from point A to point B, um, between, uh, all of the supporting cast who do just these fantastic jobs with the parts that they're given, um, you know, Mike er Trout, obviously, Kim Wexler, uh, these are all kind of, like, great characters who are really powerful, um, I just feel like it, there is nothing, uh, there is nothing better than, uh, than Breaking Bad, 
currently playing on, uh, or I'm sorry, then Better Call Saul, whoops, uh, th- uh, on TV screens nowadays, and it is the, I really want to give it that derpy. It really deserves and earned that derpy. All right, well, um, this is going to be tough because I, I really don't watch television. I, I haven't for like, like I was just thinking about this, I haven't for the past year, I typically don't watch, um, I really don't watch a lot of fiction anymore. In, when, when it comes to uh, when it comes to kind of like long form content, um, so I think the best I'm gonna do is give it to. Um, uh, I, I mean, the only show that I, that I watch with any consistency is, is My Hero Academia, and I don't think it deserves that. <laughs> uh, um, and I, I, as much as I think it's a great show, um, I don't think it deserves a best kind of thing on television. Um, Best ongoing series that you can put on a television. Um, I'm going to bend this one a little bit. I'm going to go with um, uh, the YouTube premium series Minefields. Um, it's it's Fair enough. It, it's an educational series by uh, by the guy behind Vsauce, uh, Michael, um, and he goes really in depth on uh, a variety of scientific topics. Um, kind of explains um, uh, what um, uh, you know what a uh, what what causes different kind of phenomena, um, either uh, either like psychological or um, physical in some senses, in some ways, and it's kind of and it's always supported by these like neat kind of microcosm experiments. You know, they're they're not like rigorous or anything. It's kind of like uh, MythBusters for YouTube in a lot of ways, and I, I really like it for that reason, right? Like the the, the the experiments are set up as experiments, and they have like mm. some modicum of scientific value, but obviously they're not. Then it'll be on. They're not super rigorous. They're still fun to watch, and they're still fun to kind of explore. Like um, uh, one that wasn't like the the most uh, the most recent episode that just came out a couple days ago was about um, death and dying, um, and uh, it covers a lot of different topics. But the first part of the episode is about how um, how there's this hypothesis that um, uh, people who are reminded of their more of their own mortality are um, are more likely to be harsher in giving out like punishments, right? So they design this little experiment. They give people a bunch of hypothetical um, questions about like how to treat um, how how to treat uh, or how how to punish someone that's committed various crimes. Um, but the one group they put in the waiting room with a bunch of things. It's like get your affairs in order, and you know you could die tomorrow of a heart attack, stuff like that. Um, and uh, what they found was is, and again, this is just it's not a super scientific experiment, but it's 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 neat to watch. Um, is that they weren't more punitive, but they took much longer to, to reach their decisions, um, uh, than than the other than the control group for for how to punish these people. Um, and so I thought that was super neat. The the I think probably the best episode this season so far, and, and I think it's available for free to non YouTube premium users is um, it's one about the uh, the, the famous Stanford Prison Experiment. Um, uh, essentially, there's some criticism that um, there were pro- some potential criticism of the experiment in that um, the professor had inadvertently selected for um, people who were more willing to be cruel um, and also uh, kind of had primed them to be particularly uh, cruel um, uh, because of the results of that experiment for the people at home that don't know um, is that uh, basically, at Stanford, they got a handful of students to be prisoners and a handful of students to be guard. And within, like, 48 hours, 
um, the guards were being incredibly oppressive. Um, and what does this say about human nature and kind of the the uh, uh, the nature of of our, of our punitive system? It's been used as kind of like a defense. Um, I'm not kind of like I think it has been used as a defense uh, for yeah. certain uh, activities in, in in courts. And so um, they uh, they essentially uh, again this, this the 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 experiments aren't conclusive by any means, but they sca- they selected four people that were super nice, um, and they kind of obfuscated the task. Right, what they basically did is they had people so- they had people uh, solving puzzles in the dark, um, and one of the things they could do is they were theoretically they were racing against another team, um, and they could press a button to like send a uh, a loud noise to the other team. Um, and uh, there was no other team. It was all, all an experimental condition. But they found that the really the people, really nice people they selected for, never were that cruel, right? Like they were, they were always just kind of like, um, they were always just kind of like uh, relatively nice. Um, no one like the, the dials. They, they said that like safe level is seven, and like uh, the dial could go up to twelve, and no one put it above a seven. It was it was uh, it was a neat thing to watch. Um, and uh, just because of all of all of that kind of things, uh, Mike Michael's a very compelling person. Uh, if you go back, I, rec- I highly recommend watching the episode from last season. Uh, it might even be the season before that where uh, he spends like three days inside a totally white room with no stimuli. Just to so that's ca- the very first episode. I actually watched it at your. I, I started watching it at your recommendation. Um, we started watching uh, Mindfield, and the very first S, uh, uh, S, uh, episode is about. Uh, isolation and solitary confinement and how humans kind of crave stimulus. And he spends, yeah, he spends those three days alone in the white chamber and kind of freaks out, to be honest. Yeah. Like, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, um, it's, uh, it's, it's super interesting to watch. Um, it's, it's great because uh, he's a very charming guy. Um, you know, he's, he's his own meme and he's, a, you know, he got the series because he's a popular YouTuber, but it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's, it's educational and he's very wholesome. So, you know, I got to give a uh, big thumbs up to minefields. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. Fair enough. So um, for my category, um, I'm going to bring back uh, one that I really liked from last year. Um, and it's going to be best trash fire and best trash fire for me. <laughs> <laughs> is 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 uh going to venom um uh, it was a movie that is simultaneously so bad yet so incredibly entertaining that i i you know uh i, for, I forget what we brought this up for uh what, what i brought this up for last year but like um it's nothing has nothing has ever done this so well nothing has been so blatantly terrible but so incredibly entertaining at the same time for me um i was laughing my ass off it was probably the funniest movie i've seen all year i saw movies that were trying to be funny um that's that's true that's fair yeah um you know it was a funnier movie than deadpool 2 or ant-man and the wasp and those are like you know the comedy marvel movie or you know the 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 comedy superhero movie yeah no Um, definitely um you know tom hardy steals the show i'm very offended that you didn't remember teen titans go to the movies man (laughs) whatever um um, uh, but yeah um so uh, uh what was it Sorry, you, you got me off track, but yeah, best, uh, best, best fire, fire yeah. Is Venom, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't know if there's much else to say about it. Um, 
go watch Venom and just laugh your fucking ass off. I just I just want to say that I would obviously agree that the that the best trash fire is Venom. We were talking about this in one of our chats, and I said that Venom might actually be my favorite in theater movie of the year just because it was so like unintentionally hilarious like i was just laughing so hard and having such a good time kind of in spite of itself which is actually pretty funny because um typically with like quote-unquote so bad it's good movies i have a very hard time with them like troll 2 or like the room even um which we've talked about a couple of times on the cast, uh, like the the cringiness of those movies makes it makes it almost a little bit hard for me. This might be one of the first like so bad it's good movies to just like authentically hit home for me. But I but I feel a little bit bad about doubling up. So I'm going to give this to. Um, are you ready for this? This is going to be controversial. I'm going to give this to Avengers: Infinity War, oh, which man. I just watched last night, and the, and it, this is best trash fire in a different kind of context, right? Um, the funny thing about Avengers Infinity War is it, it was a movie I was very divided on and I think is fairly, fairly divisive. It's one of the first kind of big, powerful Marvel movies. I've seen a lot of um, kind of like the critical community that I that I follow react negatively to. Like typically they're very on board with kind of the Marvel ethos and the Marvel formula and they like basically everything that Marvel puts out. And I do think that there's a lot of the Marvel ethos and the Marvel formula in here. But I think the big problem with Avengers Infinity War comes around centering um, Thanos as the POV character. Uh, I've always disputed the fact. I don't think he is the, the protagonist. Um, but he is definitely the point of view character who we are kind of cutting back to and following throughout a lot of the movie while most of the Avengers kind of are their own um, are their own sort of supporting cast to uh, to Thanos. Um, and there just really is something very gross about the way that they imbue this guy with so much pathos. Uh, I complained about this months ago, and my feelings have only ever got have only really gotten worse. To be honest, um, I just rewatched it when it hit Netflix a couple of days ago. The way that Thanos equates his abuse and torturing with kind of like love is just really icky to me and like the way that the movie kind of wants you to feel for thanos sacrificing gamora it's just like <laughs> gross right but at the same time like boy the it is an eminently watchable movie something that i predicted when we saw it the first time um is i said that it's a very real possibility that it kind of ends up on the background for me in the same way that the hobbit movies do or man of steel or bvs do just kind of as like an aesthetic thing to to turn back to while i'm working on something else you know oh i'm questing in world of warcraft but every once in a while i'm going to turn my head and you know like watch a watch a superhero fight and i do have to say that insofar as that is the case this movie is insanely successful i think aquaman probably has the best action filmmaking of like the superhero movies that came out this year um just because it is so in line with that kind of Zack snyder man of steel you know impact action filmmaking that i've talked about before but uh but infinity war is right up there um and there are very real um kind of set pieces in there that have weight and that hurt and that are you know i don't know like destructible that first opening fight with dr strange iron man uh and spider-man is it's just like really compelling action filmmaking and so simultaneously a movie that i think is pretty gross and icky if you think about it um is also probably going to end up being a movie that i come back and i watch over and over again 
um, just because of how solid the aesthetics of it are. Uh, I feel like that makes it qualify as a trash fire. Um, so that's my that is my trash fire award uh, for for the year. All right, uh, fair enough. Um, I, I you know uh, how I'm gonna put this. You, you're of the opinion that that grossness isn't a thing that you're meant to feel. It's a thing that like was mishandled by the uh, by uh, Marvel. Yeah, so, I mean, it is... So, I I am sympathetic to the argument, Thanos is the bad guy, right? But the thing is, is that, and especially when you start looking at um, what the directors and the producers and stuff say about Thanos is kind of when it becomes, like, icky and gross to me. Because they talk about how old Thanos has a very complex inner life, and, you know, he isn't he isn't a psychopath, he, he has emotions and he feels things, or whatever. And so... The movie trying to engender empathy for me for this like genocidal maniac is like is where it is is where it gets like weird. Um, so you know, for instance, Zod in Man of Steel is a very similar kind of genocidal megalomaniac to to Thanos, right? But that movie has absolutely no empathy for Zod, right? Zod is a disgusting fascist, and he is worth uh, nothing but contempt. If that makes sense. Whereas in Infinity War, I feel like they want Thanos to be sympathetic, empathetic, right? Um, someone that you kind of that you kind of feel for, and you see, oh God, oh it's so hard, you know, for him or whatever. Um, and and whether or not that is, I don't know. To a certain extent, part of me wants to say nothing is off limits, but boy, if you want if you want me to empathize with someone who is so nakedly gross as Thanos is. Uh, maybe maybe do it better. I guess I don't I don't have any yeah. I don't have anything better to say about that. Fair enough. So uh, it, it's your turn. While we're on superhero movies, yeah. uh, I think there were what eight superhero. Let's uh, so Black Panther. Uh, the three Marvel movies would be Black Panther, Ant Man and the Wasp, Avengers: Infinity War. Aquaman is the DC movie that came out. Two Sony movies: Spider Verse and Venom. Teen Titans Go to the Movie is also a movie that came out, and then Deadpool. So eight. Eight superhero movies came out. Oh, and also Incredibles 2. Nine superhero movies came out this year. Of those superhero movies, which one is your favorite? Uh, yeah, well, you, you, you do your Oh, own. right, yeah, I go first. Uh, so the answer here is obvious. Aquaman. I mean, the fact that we are approaching a world where the first of the DC movies to break a billion dollars is the Aquaman movie starring Jason Momoa right uh is just an insane an insane world i had a lot of small criticisms um and things that i wish the movie really like did better right i talked about how i kind of wish that arthur was harder on black manta i like the i like the comic book detail that arthur murders black manta's dad in cold blood and creates his own supervillain and and feels that tremendous regret and responsibility for that um i also like the way that orm is kind of a victim of circumstance who is well and truly betrayed by his brother um, because Orm was kind of was acting according to the laws of Atlantis um, and was severely punished for that. And so, like, there are plenty of pieces about this movie to criticize. Um, but just in terms of my favorite superhero got a big blowout blockbuster $200 million, you know, movie experience that's just an insane thing for me to comprehend and i cannot believe that this movie was good um 
even if it even if it wasn't great. One of the other things that I noticed about rewatching Black Panther, Thor, Ragnarok, um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and Infinity War is just like how small they feel in comparison. And I really have no great way to conceptualize this, right? But for some reason, like the Avengers and the Army of Wakanda kind of squaring off against these like demon dogs of Thanos's. Um, in just like a grassy field just kind of feels so tiny compared to the big final blowout battle between Orm and the, and the army of the brine kingdom, um, that eventually gets ended by Aquaman and the giant Kraken. He rides spoilers. I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, that it is, it is like perfectly, uh, it is perfectly made and perfectly tailored for my sensibilities as a viewer, um, it's big, it's mythic, it's, you know, it's not, uh, I don't know, uh, that it is, it is the, it is the archetypal sort of Aquaman story, um, and he is my favorite hero, and my favorite hero got a really good authentic portrayal on screen. How could it be anything else, Mango? Uh, uh well, the, the answer is, so, part of me really wants to just give this to Venom again, um, <laughs> but, uh, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going to. I do want to be clear. There is a difference between favorite and best. I don't think Aquaman is the best superhero movie that came out. I think Black Panther is. Um, But, you know, if if Venom was your favorite, man, let that freak flag fly, baby. (laughs) So I'm I'm going to give, because I think this is both, like, a contender for my favorite, and I think it is the best superhero movie of the year, and that is Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, Okay, fair enough. You know, I, I, you know... um, it was just so well put together. Just, uh, you know, a lot of really nice kind of fan nudges, not too many, um, uh, with, uh, combined with like this really well, uh, executed multiple Spider-Man storyline, uh, you know, focusing around, um, focusing around the, the, the three spider people again, not a flawless movie, but, um, focusing around miles and, and kind of old Peter and, uh, and uh, and Spider Gwen and I, I think the kind of genius that we didn't really touch on a lot during our own review is that a big part of what makes that work is none of the nobody is your regular Spider Man he dies um, you know even Peter Parker Peter B Parker is an old washed up Spider Man which is different than your normal Spider Man it's not the plucky Spider Man it's not the 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 you know the the prime of his life Spider Man it's an over the hill Spider Man um, this combined with kind of like the three side Spider Men um, that were incredibly creative they were able to go outside the the kind of uh, go outside the bounds a little bit because they weren't as central to the plot but they were still super fun um, Nicholas Cage as as, as Nora Spider Man is I think I think it's my favorite Spider Man um, ever. Uh, I think Nicolas Cage should just do every superhero from now on. He's the best Superman. He's the best <laughs> Spider-Man. Uh, but uh, um, that combined with what is authentically the best Stan Lee cameo of all time that was perfectly, you know, just like we said, kind of weirdly perfectly timed with with his passing. Um, you know, a, a really meaningful, meaty Stan Lee cameo um, uh, combined with like a really fun storyline um, combined with like a, uh, I believe you called it hyper realistic art style that really um, kind of brings the movie to life in a way that you can't get with these live action acted movies, um, yeah. And all of that to me combines to make the thing that that was definitely my favorite superhero experience of the year. Um, 
Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, we just recently did a, a, a whole cast on that, so I'm not going to go for too much. I'm not going to go any longer on that. Um, yeah, no, for real. Uh, so... Um, my next category is going to be a little bit weird, um, but it's going to be uh, best match of title to uh, to game, um, and I'm going to explain what this means by reference or by my nominee, which is Monster Hunter World. It is a world in which you hunt monsters. Um, <laughs> Fine, sure. All right. All right. Whatever. So, you know, you, you could think while I talk about how wonderful Monster Hunter World is. Um, if you want to play a game where you hunt monsters and maybe where you take those monsters and you turn them into your gear, you can, you have to look no further than Monster Hunter World. It is an absurdly grindy game. Um, it is a game about kind of mastering the way you fight. It's very much like World of Warcraft in that way. It was, in fact, on my kind of short list for games I was going to give best game as sport to um, because it is – the story is – there you are presumably trying to you're trying to make the big fire beast reset the life something stupid no one cares um what what you're doing is you're running around and you're slapping the shit out of monsters with your giant uh your giant weapon um or you're shooting them or you're stabbing them with with your twin daggers um i like the hammer i smack things with my hammer a bunch um, you're breaking parts of them. You're collecting little bits of things. You're running around. You're tra- like you're, you're tracking the monster. You're picking up dung. You're put, luring the monsters into traps. So you can get some big meaty hits on them. You're um, deciding when instead of killing the monster, you want to put them to sleep, um, so you can capture them for different drop rates on different items. You are um, figuring out what exact materials you need so you can get your favorite set. Whether it's based on the best stats, whether it's based on the one that makes you the coolest, um, uh, you're uh, running around doing ten thousand different activities um, in ten thousand different ways to uh, to just kind of like always keep on grinding. And normally, these types of games, once I hit the grind cycle um, for too long, I'm just like, why am I even doing this? But I kind of hit that point. I was like, eh, because it's neat, because it's fun, because. The combat's diverse enough and uh, the, the fights are diverse enough that uh-huh. it never feels boring. Um, uh, you know, just uh, – it's, it's just a, a ton of fun. And, you know, the thing that uh, – that the only thing that I wish I could have done more of is I did a little bit of this with, with, with a friend of the cast, Nick, is play it with more people so that um, you can kind of all do that together. You can just kind of like roll around and have stupid derpy fun um, whacking monsters with, uh, with, with, uh, with hammers and stuff to, to you know – uh, get a bunch of stuff and just keep rinsing and repeating, and it's 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 fucking great. Um, huh. um but yeah, um, uh, uh, like I said, uh, if you wanted to, if you wanted to make sure that uh, the game was that that you were getting what you were what you were looking at, none of this uh, devil may cry. What that game about? There's like I guess a devil, and maybe he cries, but who cares? That's got nothing to do with the game. It's a game about like. Hitting demons with swords. A game called Monster Hunter World. It's about hunting monsters, and for that, it gets my accolade as as best uh, best match of title to gameplay, or best match of title. Boy, to game. <clears throat> uh, okay. I think I'm going to give this one. <sighs> Boy, this is interesting. 
Um, I guess I'm going to give this one to Rastakhan's Rumble, the most recent Hearthstone expansion that just came out. Um, the sort of lore behind Rastakhan's Rumble is that every generation, all of the trolls in Azeroth get together and um, and they have like a big tournament in the Gurubashi Arena. And so um, there is, uh, and so there are, you know, so there are a lot of uh cards that are revolving around the trolls right each of the so there are 18 class legendaries half of them are the troll champions for instance for instance prince priestess princess talanji is the priest champion um who serves wansamdi who is the priest loa um and you know Warmaster Voon, who is from uh, Upper Black Rock Spire, is the is the warrior champion, um, and Akali is who from uh, Drakar, um, uh, the like the Drakari trolls is the is like the warrior Loa, right? But like, there's just something about the way that this card set was designed um, with mechanics like Overkill. Um, Overkill says when you deal more damage to something than uh, than it needs to die. So if a minion has two attack and I deal three damage to it, I activate Overkill. Um, there's just something about like that mechanic in Rastakhan's Rumble that just, like, feels innately, like, rumbly and, like, gladiatorial, right? It's rewarding you for going... for overkilling, right? It's rewarding you for going over the, um... You know, like, over the top and getting, like, a super splashy bloody kill is what it feels like, you know what I mean? When when you're, like, running into somebody with a 7, you know, a 7-7. Seven, seven. You're running into a 1-1 one, one with a 7-7 seven, seven and boom, right? You know, 6 damage of overkill damage. But you get rewarded for that kind of thing. And that feels just like, I don't know, that just feels, like, really, really good. Um, at the same time, it also feels very, like, trolly. Like, it does come from king rastakhan in a, in a lot of ways right from the different loa that are being uh that are being showcased like shirvala or like kali or like bonsamdi um to you know the totem the totemic spirits that got released in the game um that all have different sorts of you know that have different sorts of effects that when you put them on the battlefield they're going to be doing you know really powerful meaningful things uh for you that is, it, it's just a really good way to to sort of marry all of these concepts in together. I think I think Hearthstone is typically very good about this, right? The Witchwood is the spooky set, and it was a very spooky expansion, right? Uh, the Boomsday Project is kind of the the Mad Science set, and there was plenty of Mad Science to to, to go around. Um, but when it comes to Rastakhan's Rumble, there's just something about how you know from the the announcer card. Uh, or from the announcer uh, who is an ogre and people misattacking him um, to, you know, the Guru Bashi offering, which is a one mana zero eight. And if it survives, um, it, it grants you, you, it grants you eight armor at the start of your turn, you know, just like stuff like that. That just feels like really like that feels really uh, flavorful, I guess. <sighs> Okay, um, we have done something in the past sort of along these kinds of lines um, when it comes to, like, YouTube critics and stuff like that. Um, so the next category for me is, like, who is your who is your big, like, content creator or critic or uh, sort of anything along those lines when it comes to uh, 
when it comes to this year. I think last year I ended up giving this award to the same person, but who cares? She had a very good 2018 as well. Um, Lindsay Ellis, who has a YouTube channel uh, all about kind of media criticism in a variety of ways. She had like she had an amazing start to the year with videos on the Hobbit, which is funny. Cause I mean, I really love the Hobbit movies and everything, but she essentially produced a feature law, a feature length documentary about how not great the Hobbit movies are. Um, <coughs> by going to New Zealand, interviewing some of the cast, right. All of that kind of stuff. Um, she continued along with, um, uh, she continued along with the whole plate series, which is breaking down the Michael Bay Transformers movies, which I also think have controversial opinions on, even though I don't really like them uh, all that much. I think that they are better than people give them credit for and are very much worthy of examination. Uh, but I feel like probably the pinnacle of of her content this year is a movie or is a video called "That Time Disney Remade Beauty and the Beast." Um, it is kind of the ultimate call-out in a, in a year that had a specific video called Shut Up About Plot Holes, about plot holes. Because what that video points out is how when Disney went back to the story of Beauty and the Beast and started filling those quote-unquote plot holes that were in it, they actually made the film and the story way, way worse. Because... They were adding in pieces that even if they explained parts of the fairy tale logic also kind of ruins the stakes of the movie and a lot of the implications for how things um, for how things kind of go and, you know, and resolve. Um, her most recent set of videos have been about the nature of YouTube itself and like product placement, what fair use is, manufacturing authenticity. Uh, but in terms of somebody who is taking a look at media in the same way that you and I take a look at media um, and critiquing it, I feel like she is probably the best person I have been following for the entirety of 2018. Yeah, well, that's I actually, I have to be prepared for this. I was going to, um, I, I have my own kind of category down here, which is almost exactly the same thing. Um, uh, but first, I want to give a shout out um, uh, a, a shout out maybe is the wrong word, but a, a moment of mourning for the super best friends again. I, I must, you know, my, my probably my favorite creators of the past decade, um, you know, have have ended their streak. So I just want to put that out there. Um, I also want to give a do want to give a shout out to Red Sword who does amazing content in kind of the same vein. He's introduced me to some of the works of Satoshi Khan has been great, but the guy that I think has done the best stuff this year, um, has been this guy I found called Mandalore Gaming, um. He does these incredibly um, kind of in-depth and fun reviews of old and obscure games. Um, I can't really tell you exactly why I find them so super compelling. Um, part of it's probably the, the the good editing and the humor um, and kind of like the the way his voice uh, just kind of like uh, it's it, 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 it's it's very kind of soothing. Um, and he just talks about these really weird and obscure games, um, points out what's really cool about them, talks about, um, you know, a little bit about how to get them working um, and in uh, the various ways to do it. Um, he also introduced me to two of my other favorite channels from this year, which are Creel and, uh, uh, and 8-Bit Brody. Um, but yeah, he's just puts out, consistently puts out quality content um, that really, like, that really 
sells you on why you might want to play these old games and really explains what they are if you if you know you just kind of want to be along for the ride. Um, the weekend that I found him, I met, I ended up going through literally every single one of his videos because I fu- found it that that fun. Um, I have to say, I love that feeling. Yeah, <laughs> like when you find somebody and you're just like, oh, I'm gonna watch every single one of your fucking videos. Yeah, Let's do this. Um, and you know, I, like I said, I don't think he's he's uh, got the kind of depth of analysis. Um, of somebody like, say, a Brett Seward or, or I guess Lindsay Ellis, who, who I, I don't I, I don't watch, unfortunately, um, or you know, kind of like the the, the journalistic kind of chops of say uh, Super Bunny Hop, um, but he's doing a thing that that uh, doesn't get done, which is kind of revisiting these these they're not even like calling them hidden gems is 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 kind of a a misnomer. These are like. Uh, curios, maybe oddities, is is the best way to put it. These kind of weird experiments that are a snapshot in time from a different era, um, like this weird kind of like vector graphic-y looking game that uh, it's like this Russian game where you play like a delivery truck on an alien planet in like a world where like humans like merged with insects in the far future. It's really weird and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but like. The game looks pretty neat, and uh, you should definitely go. I forget what the name of that game is, but you should definitely go find that, uh, find that video and watch it by him. Um, but yeah, he just does such uh, great uh, quality content that I that I that I that I can't give it to uh, to anybody else. All right, well, uh, I guess that makes it my pick, um, and. Uh, Kind of uh, piggybacking off this a little bit because another guy that I really liked watching this year was Mossbag for reasons that will be shortly um, uh, apparent. Um, this category is best game from a previous year that I didn't play until this year. Um, and, <laughs> and, okay. And I'm giving it to Hollow Knight because um, Hollow Knight is an amazing game. If I had played it last year, it definitely would have been last year's Derpies. Um, it is kind of the... Um, uh, it's probably the single best Metroidvania I've ever played. Um, it has that kind of like weird indirect lore aspect that Dark Souls has. It has a couple other Dark Soulsy elements, but don't call it a Souls-like. Um, it's uh, got a lot more fluid action. The, the combat feels very Metroidvania-y. Um, it's uh, got some really super hard boss fight, or super hard combat, super hardcore combat that's super satisfying when you when you, when you win. Um, it has some. Uh, a really cool kind of uh, badges mechanic system, which like, I think they took inspiration from Paper Mario for that. Um, they kind of like let you customize your play experience, let you concentrate on kind of different on the on the, the aspects of the play that you like. Um, there's like a thousand secrets to find. There are multiple endings to kind of figure out what's happening. There's like like I said, all this lore to piece together. There's some insanely hard jump puzzles to kind of like get last the last bits of lore out from behind. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just incredibly freeform. You can go through it in whatever way you, you kind of want. And you just can't help but getting drawn into this lore, which is, you know, why you want to go find yourself a lore channel like Mossbag to kind of uh, kind of get him to break down what, what's happening. It's, you know, it's I, I'm watching Mossbag like I, I used to watch, like, say, Vati Vidya um, for Dark Souls lore. Um, and I, I, I'm more entertained by it. Um, uh, the art style's fantastic. The, the bugs are super cute. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, and then after, like, I think I, let's check how many hours I played. I think it was close to like 40 for me. Um, 
after I'm done with it, you know, I can kind of sit back. Yeah, it's, it's, I had 38 hours on it. I can sit back and say that was an excellent experience. Um, I can put this down, and I don't need to go back to it for a while. I'll probably go back to it for the Hornet DLC, but, you know, I've had kind of a, a full and complete experience, and it was uh, fantastic. That is very cool. I guess I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I can't really think of anything that I've, like, quote-unquote, discovered um, this year. Um, but I will say that a, a game that came out in December of 2017 that I picked up in January of 2018 that I liked a lot and I wanted to talk about is called They Are Billions. Um, they Are Billions is a kind of, like, horde um a zombie game, right? Where like you are playing a big group of in kind of like an isometric, like RTS style, a big group of survivors. And you need to hold out against a boatload of zombies that are, that are constantly sort of flooding your, uh, flooding your defenses and everything. Uh, this is the kind of game that I am, that I am really into. Uh, and I got 31 hours deep, uh, into it before I ended up putting it down. And if I remember correctly, I was not very good at this game. I got pretty wrecked uh, by by the different zombies and all, all of my all of my well-honed StarCraft micro skills, I guess, uh, eventually ended up not holding up uh, not holding up for me anymore, which is unfortunate. But yeah, so they are billions. Um, it was one of those small, indie titles that pops up on steam like darkest dungeon is kind of another one of these uh that just like comes out of nowhere and i feel like it just like hits everyone and floors us all and we're all just like wow what a good you know boy what a good game this turned out to be just sort of like out of nowhere um so in insofar as it is a 2017 game that i discovered in 2018 i'm gonna give it to they are billions excellent all right what's your uh your next guy. Okay, so my next one is crazy, but but we're going for it. Okay, Mango, what is your favorite meme of 2018? Uh, <laughs> I am mentioning this specifically because um, I feel like 2018 was a beautiful year for SpongeBob SquarePants memes, which is very fitting. Because Steven Hillenburg, the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants, passed away, which is unfortunate. Um, and uh, but just from you know, uh, over the course of the year, I feel like we got so many just like beautiful choice, just mwah, chef's kiss memes uh, from uh, from the not even like new SpongeBob from like old SpongeBob, uh, but we still just completely loved them uh we loved them anyway and uh and so i just want to give it all of them to spongebob squarepants memes in 2018 you were got you guys were great you're my favorite memes of 2018 all right well if you're gonna give it to a class of memes um i'm gonna give it to an app and i'm gonna give it to tiktok um because (laughs) tiktok has been like my not so secret obsession for the past month or two you know it's just Every, like, stupid thing that you could ever think of, it's, like, it's almost entirely, like, either, like, teens or, like, uh, boomers. Um, And it's not very many boomers, but, like, there's never anybody, like, our age. It's all, like, high school kids or young college kids who are, like, you know, like, oh, boy, I'm going to be internet famous. Or, like, some, some, like, like, I saw, like, 
a lawyer doing a Fortnite dance in his law office, like fake behind the back of one of his associates in a TikTok video. It's like, where are we? Like, it's. I feel like TikTok is like this is this is like Vine closed down. And everybody was like, oh, I guess we're going to be on YouTube. But there's just something missing about, about YouTube. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, fucking TikTok comes out. And everyone is like, oh, thank God, Vine is back. Yeah. But it's not actually Vine. It's TikTok. And I, I think there's, there's a couple of fundamental differences. One, like, the main feed is just kind of like whatever's out there, right? <laughs> um, and the other thing is, is this duet feature, which is this, like, the duet feature isn't necessarily cool in its kind of soul form it's the way that like the duets get subverted that's really what's truly brilliant right like um there's this one duet of um uh of this girl who's like doing like uh this is kind of like dance to peggy suave's posing but she like goes and kisses the edge of the frame right so that you can go like so like you know presumably somebody comes in and kisses like gets like kissed on the cheek or whatever or kisses her right and it'll be really cutesy but almost immediately it's like her like spitting water out uh, into like a bucket or something, right? Like just people put like the most unexpected things on the other side, <laughs> or like um, uh, this is the, the the kind of big one, the the one that like really hit the stratosphere is the maybe I'll be tracer meme, um, where it's just some girl um doing this really like th- there's a lot of uh, TikToks that like this which are very like very low effort people mouthing the words to the song that's being sung. Um, and that's basically what this maybe I'll be tracer meme is. It's this girl wearing a headset um, and like just kind of like fiddling with a controller, pretend, like pretending like she's playing Overwatch and mouthing along to the words of a song. Um, mm-hmm. I think set up so that like some guy would take the, the the man's part on the other side. And so the internet and in its infinite um, kind of wisdom uh, decided to do that, but take it a step further. The first guy, I'm pretty sure he's the first guy who does this, is the, the girl's holding, like, an Xbox controller and, like, wearing a headset. He tapes two Xbox controllers to the side of his head and pretends like he's, like, using the headset as a controller. And just kind of, like, absurd, and that's funny. And then the <laughs> next guy takes, like, um, like shoves, like, a keyboard down his, his sweatshirt so it's in front of his face and is also playing on the headset. And then, like, there's a guy with, like, a flat-screen TV on his lap that's, like, slapping it as if he's playing on it. And there's a dude in a Power Ranger one-piece suit with a toaster oven on his lap um, pulling a pizza out of the toaster oven to the tune of this song. And it's just so, so brilliant. It's such, like, a... a, a it's, such, it's such a ridiculous way. Uh, my other favorite version of this is two people... Um, singing along to uh, Goatia's um, uh, uh, somebody that I used to know, um, and you know it's just two people doing the male, and the, the female poise back and forth, and that that part's that one's kind of boring, right? It's just kind of like I said, uh, a very basic uh, mouth, uh, you know, a, a lip sync uh, to the song. But then some other people decide that they want in on this too, so they take this very standard one and they duet with it, and they like pull their sweatshirts tight over their face, and they're the chorus that does like the like the like oh sounds in the background so it's just like these two people like sing like like emoting very very well with the song it's these two goobers in like sweatshirts tied tight to their heads um uh like shout like like shouting along as if they're like some like weird derpy angelic chorus it's just like how do you think of this and why is it so brilliant and why am i laughing so hard um and so, you know, for all of all of kind of this, all of this wonderful meme gifts that TikTok has given us, I have to give meme of the year to TikTok. 
Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Well yeah. done. Um, so, um, back onto a little bit more traditional fare. Um, I know you've got a lot of ammo for this, so um, I'm going to say best strategy game expansion pack of the year. And, oh, um, boy. Um, and I, oh, God. Yeah. While, yeah. You, while you figure out which one's your favorite, um, I'm going to give mine to Holy Fury. Um, Holy Fury is the new expansion, relatively new expansion for um, uh, for Crusader Kings 2. Um, adds a lot of different features around uh, the pagan religions, lets you reform them, um, uh, uh, lets you kind of like go deeper into those things rather than having to say switch over to, to some other religion in order to kind of get like the fuller feudal features. Um, also notable are new storylines around uh, like say the Children's Crusade, what else is in there? There's um, there's like a storyline I think to um, like revive the Hellenic religion and like reform the Roman Empire. Um, mm. uh, some kind of I think there's some like there there are a bunch of different little anecdotes in there, um, including and and I think rather not including, but I think one of the, the coolest features that comes along with this is the um, the ability to kind of have a pseudo random start for Crusader Kings two. You can shatter the world and kind of break down all of the classic. Uh, empires uh, into their their duchy constituencies and kind of build them back up from scratch, which uh, it can be a lot of fun. And you can also like redistribute all of kind of like the uh, the, the the historical um, uh, pieces all over the world. Um, you know, you get kind of get like off brand uh, uh, off brand uh, Holy Roman Empire. Um, you get like the Africans in in East Europe, or like, the African religion in East Europe. You get like Aztec religions in pockets, and ar- along with this is also the ability to kind of as an Easter egg uh, include animal kingdoms in, which is just so much fun for a little while. Um, I will say that 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 feature is definitely meant to be an Easter egg. There's like one portrait type for each animal, and it gets mm. boring really fast. Um, I think those are there because they were uh, they they came out of. Um, that, like there are events in the normal game, like silly events that you can that you can cause people to turn into animals. Um, so there was only ever like one of them in in a game really at a time. So like making them a whole uh, making them whole races was was not the uh, the, the greatest uh, or is not the most artistically diverse thing. I think they can make a killing if they released an animal portrait pack. Um, but you know all those changes um, uh, just kind of really breathe new life into the game. Um, uh, I've been having a blast with it. It's probably been my most p- consistently played game of the past couple of months. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to give uh, best strategy expansion pack of the year to uh, Crusader Kings 2 Holy Fury. Buddy? Okay. So, the obvious answer is uh, one of the expansion packs for Total War Warhammer 2. Um, Total War Warhammer has been... One, it's like my Batman versus Superman of video games. I can't shut up about it. I always end up getting getting on topic about it at some point. Um, and they released three uh, DLC expansion packs over the course of 2018. Uh, the first one is Rise of the Tomb Kings. The second one is The Queen and the Crone. Uh, Rise of the Tomb Kings adds the Tomb Kings as a campaign faction. Uh, the Queen and the Crone is a lord uh, and and army roster update for the um for the uh dark elves and high elves and uh then curse of the vampire coast which adds the vampire coast to um which has the vampire coast to the game i actually feel like i have to give this to the queen and the crone which 
is weird because typically it's the big giant campaign packs that have the most far-reaching consequences but the nice thing about the queen and the crone is it it coupled in a couple of other changes that had been uh lagging behind uh most most notably the the norska um this is it, it was coupled with the norska patch and by extension brought norska into uh, the the game space of Total War Warhammer 2. But I also feel like I just had the most fun playing with these Queen and Crone um, uh, characters that came out. Alithanar is one of the High Elf Lords that, that came out during, uh, like, as part of this expansion pack. And the way that he plays the game is so fundamentally different from other High Elves that it's just like, this is exactly the kind of thing that I love and I can really sink my teeth into, I feel like, when it comes to playing a game like Total War Warhammer that is otherwise pretty modular. Um, because it, change, it, it changes the very fabric of the High Elves when they, they, they don't start on Ulth 1, they share friendly territory, like the, the, their ability to occupy factions is, is with the Dark Elves. Um, and so, and... Uh, he can stalk and use the ambush stance that Skaven and that Beastmen get, right? So it turns you with just a couple of small mechanics from the typical High Elf Lord that's marching these big armies with, you know, dragons uh, and Lothurn Seaguard across the map or whatever into like a, almost like a Wood Elf army, which makes sense obviously because I love playing Wood Elves. Um, almost into a Wood Elf army where you're moving through the, you know, where you're like stalking through like mountain passes and ambushing Dark Elves as they're trying to move from kind of point A to point B. And you're taking over the the entirety of Nagaroth um, in order to get like this sort of vengeance. You're getting uh, these assassination quests that are coming into, um, into your like mission table that are telling you to go and kill high high caliber high powered faction leaders or whatever and so just like a couple of small mechanical things completely upends the way that a, that a faction plays and using that faction's units in a you know like in a shock trooper guerrilla warfare style is just it's a really fascinating kind of way uh to upend the game you know it, it, outside of you know just introducing a new faction that has all new mechanics um so yeah i guess i want to give it to uh i guess i want to give it to total war warhammer 2 uh for the queen and the crone dlc boy is this gonna be our last category oh it might be okay our last category which i i this is my first official we're, we're branching out we're branching out from uh from games and even from tvs and from movie i want to know uh, about a whole new medium of of uh a whole new medium mango okay what was your favorite song of the year of our Lord 2018? Because let me tell you, my favorite is an upbeat song about life from Teen Titans Go to the Movies. <laughs> the 80s, the 80s, like trans, like, like trance electronic synthy song that plays and Michael Bolton is the tiger and... It's just the best. I, I've been watching Teen Titans go to the movies actually like a whole bunch. Like the other night I was watching Orange is the New Black. It's very, you know, it's like a drama or whatever. And I was just like, God, this is like getting me down. I need to watch something funny. So I just like watched the first 45 minutes of, uh, of Teen Titans go to the movies. And I, it is insane how funny that song is every single 
time I hear it. Not it. Not only is it a beautiful song, uh, in and of its own, in and of its own, like right, like it's catchy, and I want to sing along to it, you know. But also, just the lyrics to it are hilarious um, because it is literally an upbeat song about how Robin needs at this point in the story an upbeat song about life with Cynthia 80s overtones like those are lyrics to the song itself I think it was a fantastic inclusion in the Teen Titans go to the movies I'm very glad that it made itself that it made Teen Titans go to the movies a musical or whatever um, and uh, and even though I think their use of things like take on me for the time time cycle sequence and Robin's my movie, my superhero movie song and all of that stuff. Even the Teen Titans go rap when they're when they're rapping it to Balloon Man who is just beleaguered by the whole thing. Boy, of all of those of all of those fantastic songs in 2018, you better believe that an upbeat song about life by I guess Michael Bolton. I don't know who wrote that song is is my pick what's your favorite what's your favorite song Mango? Yeah. so you know I, I, I was panicking for a moment i was like oh no did i listen to anything super new this year am i gonna have to reveal my like guilty pleasures of like super like mainstream pop that i listen to sometimes <laughs> um uh for for the record that that song that i was afraid i was gonna have to reveal, which i'll do anyway because i can't leave you hanging is young blood by five seconds of summer it is like I don't even know. Yeah, uh, oh, go watch okay. the the reason I watched it is because I like mashups and like mm-hmm. one of the the year mashups that, um, like that I think it was Isocene's um put out has had like this flash of a video with like um you know like how the Japanese have this weird rockabilly subculture, um the video for that is is like is is this weird kind of like piece about like a, a, an old Japanese couple who like takes a pill that lets them be young for a day and so they and they turn into rockabillies um like in japan and so like i found the visuals astounding and the music's very catchy but that's not my favorite song of the year because um the answer is something that's even trashier um okay oh i'm so excited for this and that is uh devil trigger uh the song for devil may cry 5 specifically the little v mills cover not that it's trashier than the regular version they're both suitably trashy but it is the dumbest kind of like hard rock song that like you have ever heard the lyric the 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 kind of premier lyric for me is uh frustrate frustration getting bigger bang 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 pull my devil trigger like (laughs) (laughs) oh my god wow well done yeah that's amazing it's just everything it, it fully encapsulates um what devil may cry is it's really easy to rock out to which is kind of like like you know dance around to it like revel in the stupidity and i love it love it love it so much um it is probably that between the original version and the little v the, the mills version it's probably my most played song of the year um uh, uh it's definitely my most played song of this year um like, like the, that came out this year um uh, and so, uh, uh, man, I, I don't know. Go listen to that song. Uh, go go listen to, to both versions of that song. Uh, go watch a live performance at the VGAs. Go, like, watch stupid videos of, of Dante um, being Dante. Uh, or it's not Dante. It's Nier's song, technically. Uh, is it Nero. Not Nier. Nero. It's Nero's song. Um, 
Uh, fun facts for those of you at home that don't know, but the song that they, they wrote for Dante, um, they pulled at some point because the band that wrote it is like, like fugitives for like pedophilia or sexual assault or something terrible like that. What? Yeah. Jesus. It was something, it was just like some, like the song was terrible. And then they were like, and then it's like, yeah, this band like in the interim has like gotten into some deep shit. And so Capcom was like, I think it's Capcom was like, all right, well, we'll just not play that song again. Um, and so, uh, um, in all the footage that w- that used to have that as a song, they have they've had um, Devil Trigger, which is great because that song is like trashy but fun. So, um, yeah, uh, so yeah, do, do, do we want to do we want to leave it there? Do we want to have that be the last uh, category of the of the derpies of twenty eighteen? Can I just ask? Is is uh, do you have like a favorite like soundtrack of the year? Soundtrack. Um. Okay. So for like for like games. Yeah. So that you played. Yeah. So. I have to give I have to give a shout out to Oberdin because it was great, but I think the best one of the year is Celeste. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, um, it's received accolades before. It is phenomenal. <coughs> it is uh, it's a great game too. Um, but yeah, glad I could get that shout out. And do you have do you have one that you want to shout out? I you know I mean not really. Uh, probably the Wow soundtrack just because I think Wow music is typically pretty great and it's the one I've listened to most. But that's a very uninformed opinion. I feel like. Yeah, that, uh, but like man, that like Zuldazar theme. <laughs> there was a meme at some point on the Wow subreddit about the, the how much better the Zuldazar theme is than the the Cool Tyrion theme. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it is. The uh, probably probably that would be the answer. But that's a very uninformed opinion. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's 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 been a decent year for uh, music and games. Um, uh, the compose the head composer for Celeste actually, I think, um, led the big medley at the VGAs. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it was uh, you know, uh, lots of great like the, the the Hollow Knight music was good too. Um, the God of War music was like man, there was there was so much good music in games this year. Um, uh, so yeah. Um, well, we're, we're running up against our time then. So I think we'll, we'll close it out then. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, if you'd like to tell us what you thought your, uh, superlatives of the year were, um, uh, for any of our categories or any of your own categories, email us at some games at gmail.com or podcast at some com and let us know. Um, uh, you could also, uh, add us on Twitter, um, or you can, uh, Leave a comment on our SoundCloud or uh, maybe write it in a five-star review on iTunes, however you want to do it. Um, uh, uh, you can watch us at twitch.tv slash some play games, although we haven't done that in a while. Um, uh, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. Uh, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Happy New Year, loyal listeners.